Um, we're going to again jump into God's word and as we think about isolation in the very familiar story from the text, let's ask for God's blessing and transformation um, during our time. Father, we ask that through the power of your word you speak to our hearts, that you move in us. Lord, there is a lot of folks who are just sitting here feeling that sense of isolation and loneliness, feeling like they don't necessarily belong in a lot of places, feeling a lot like nobody really cares. And we ask, Father, for those folks that you will speak to their hearts yourself, that you are for them and you are here with them and your love and your grace is real for them. And Lord, may we all hear the message that we're all a part of this whole thing of isolation. Either we feel it ourselves or we contribute, it, contribute to it by our lack of understanding of how others might have needs and how we are the body of Christ one to another. We ask, Father, that this morning you move in this time through the power of your spirit that we might hear the words of Jesus and, Lord, that we, they might have power to transform us and move us into a new way of thinking about community. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree with hand motions. I like it. And the Lord, he wanted to see. And now we're skipping ahead. And the Lord said, Zacchaeus, you come down. Familiar story, right? So much so that it has its own Sunday school song. Some of you, um, your kids don't know that song, but you do because it was a, a song from your childhood. Right? And your kids are looking at you when you're singing the song like, Dad, Mom, what are you doing? You're crazy. What's the Zacchaeus song? It's, it's one of those stories that resonates with God's people um, because it has this wee little man. And it's a neat story of Jesus saying, um, you know, I'm coming to your house and I, I love you and I care for you. It's, it's this neat little thing, but it speaks to a truth that powerfully speaks to many of our lives. See if you don't fall into these categories. You're a student at school. And as a student at school, sometimes you get picked for teams, but sometimes you don't. Sometimes people want to be in your group for a project. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes you eat lunch by yourself because you and the friends that you have aren't getting along. And sometimes when you go home at night, you wonder, do I really have people at school who care about me? You're a college kid or recently graduated high school student who has known the pattern of life for a very long time. You're at home, you do your thing, you do your school thing, maybe your job thing, whatever other fun things you do with your friends, but now that's all changed because you're no longer in high school anymore. And either you have a, a new job that you're trying to figure out or a new community and school that you're trying to figure out, and it's not the same. 
And all those friendships that have been around for a long time are now very different. And you don't feel like that solid footing of your high school years is there anymore. Now you feel like some of that is gone. And you just feel like you're not really connected with many other people around you anymore. You don't even know if you had a free Saturday night who you're going to call to hang out with. You're a, a young married person. Someone who just got married in the last couple of years and you hoped for, longed for, prayed for this marriage that you hoped God would bring someone into your life, that God would bless you with this person. Or maybe you just thought about marriage for a very long time and looked forward to when it would happen. But marriage is harder than you thought it was going to be. And it's not always as, as fun. It's not always as easy. That relationship that you thought was going to fill a void sometimes creates new voids. And you feel like this thing that you have is instead of being something that pours into you is not what you expected. And you wonder if you're the only one who ever feels that way. Or maybe you're a new parent or a parent in the last number of years. And life has gotten crazy. Because these kids actually need stuff from you. They need things from you. They need you to feed them and care for them and walk with them through life. And they have things that, that, that they start to figure out and get into. They get school stuff or they got other activities that they're a part of. And you feel like your whole life is about their life and you don't have a life yourself anymore. And you feel really like nobody understands that you've lost yourself a little bit in the midst of this. And you feel like nobody gets this. And everyone else is the perfect mom or dad. But you certainly feel like you don't have it all figured out. Or maybe, maybe the kids have left the last couple of years. And instead of a full house, the house is empty. And the life that they brought is no longer there anymore. Or maybe kids and marriage were never a part of things. And you were that single person. Single person who everyone else was getting married. Everyone else was having kids. Everyone else was getting the American dream. White picket fence. Two dogs, a cat, three kids. Everything great including the minivan. And you got lost in the midst of it. Maybe you wanted to. Maybe you didn't want to go down those roads. But everyone else did, so where do you fit? Maybe you never wanted to. Maybe that was something that you longed for, but God never gave it to you. So you feel lonely and isolated because no one else has your experience. Or maybe you're one of our senior saints and the kids don't come around enough. And the phone calls aren't frequent enough. And oftentimes you find yourself for a couple days in a row really not talking to a whole lot of people. Maybe a phone call or two, maybe an email or two, maybe something here or something there. But most of the time, you're really very alone. Maybe your partner of a long time is recently gone. And there's that pain of a hole that can't be filled. And that isolation can creep in and you can feel so very, very alone. 
When we hear this very familiar Sunday school song story, what we don't often think about is to the raw power of the message that it speaks to in our hearts. The message of isolation. The message of a fracturing culture that so often doesn't have a place where people can fit. People don't feel like they often belong. And God gives us this story to speak to some of how we can learn to be better at being the body of Christ. Let's read it together. Chapter 19 of the Gospel of Luke, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho. Jericho, town of either five to 10,000. It's considered a, a city at the time. It's bigger than many, and it's a main road to Jerusalem from the Sea of Galilee, especially the southern and western side of the Sea of Galilee. If you're on that area, if you are even in the, the deserts that are south, then you're coming through Jericho in order to get to Jerusalem because it has the easiest uphill path. So it's a main place. Lots of people that come through there, but it's also a town that's a significant size itself, but not so big that others wouldn't know others in the town. What I'm saying is it's still got that small town feel where other people know your name. Sort of the cheers idea, if those of you remember the TV show. So Jericho is this sort of place, and Jesus was passing through. And there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the house of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And I have cheated, if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will repay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there's a story um, that, that some of you, I'm sure, have seen. Uh, it's circulated on the internet and via email. And when there's those sorts of stories, I call them internet tripe. But this particular piece of internet tripe speaks to our message this morning. And so if you've heard it, just bear with me. And if you haven't heard it, just sort of nod your head like it makes sense, okay? Okay. Um, so there's this, there's this man, he's an old man, he lives, this is, this is like a hundred years ago, and he lives in sort of the rural, backwoods, backcountry, hill country, away from, away from everybody. He lives, he, he lives close enough to a village that he can go to the village when he wants to, but his place is just sort of isolated and lonely. 
But he's been in this area for a long time. He's had a wife. He's had children. He's he raised a family. But all of his wife has died. His children have moved to other areas. So he's by himself. But he, he's been a part of this area for a long time. And he, this village that's not too far away, about 20 miles away, he's, he's been a part of. He goes into town to shop for his goods and the things that he needs to live. And he had been a part of the church community in this small rural village for a long time. In fact, he'd founded with others the church that he had been part of for a long time. Been years and years and years ago when he was a young man. But in the last number of years, because things are harder and things are more challenging, he just really felt like, I don't really need to go to church anymore. I really don't need to be a part of that anymore. I can just worship God out here in creation, and I can praise God anywhere and do, you know, do my God thing and my Christianity thing out here. And, and no one, no one need, I don't need to be a part of that. And the pastor at the small little village church had wondered about this man for, for quite a few weeks. In fact, even months. They hadn't seen him for long. He'd been faithful. He'd been active. He'd been a part of things every Sunday, all the time in previous years. But now all of a sudden he was gone. Where'd he go? So the pastor saddles up his horse one day during the week, rides the 20 miles out, quite a long ride, takes him a while, gets out there. And he rides up to the house, and of course the man sees him coming from a distance. And he's a hospitable man, so he's going to welcome him. Walks out to the front door of his small little one-room cabin, and he, he says, hello, pastor, welcome. Why don't you come in and sit for a spell? So the pastor gets off his horse and climbs down, goes into the house. It's a warm, warm home. One room, kitchen, living room, hearth, bedroom. It's all mixed into one. It's a very simple, simple place. In front of the hearth, the place where he has this warm fire going are two rocking chairs. One had been for the man's wife for many, many years, but she was dead and gone. So now the pastor could take a place. And he and the man, as the man warmed up a cup of tea for the pastor to enjoy, sat in the rocking chairs and simply rocked. Didn't say a word. Looked into the warmth of the fire and the glowing embers and flames. If any of you ever sat in front of a fire and just watched, it can mesmerize you. They were mesmerized by this glowing fire and never said a word. The pastor reaches with his hand to get some tongs, fireplace tongs beside the fireplace, and with them grabs a little piece of a glowing hot ember, white, red, hot with heat, the warmth, the fire, and grabs it about the size of a baseball, pulls it out, puts it to a little spot to the side where there's no fire. And what had once been glowing red, white with heat, and with warmth, over just a few moments, became gray and then black with coolness. While the rest of the fire was still warm and raging and hot, white hot with the flames of the fire. And finally the pastor reaches down the ember, which is now cool to the touch, enough that he can pick it up, reaches, picks it up, and places it back into the fire. Where in a moment, 
it again, in the midst of the warmth and the flame, becomes red, white, hot again, like the rest of the fire itself. And the man, as he rocks, looks over at the pastor and says, Great sermon. Thanks for coming out. I'll see you this Sunday. We think about this idea of isolation within the church community. It's very much like this fire on your own, isolated. The coldness of life creeps in. And as it creeps in, it takes away the warmth and the flame of our passion for the Holy Spirit, of our passion for following God, of our passion for working in the kingdom. But when we're with the body in community, in life together, not isolated, there's the warmth of a mutual flame of the Holy Spirit that is an encouragement to us. As we look at the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus at the beginning is a gray ember of cold separated from the fire on his own. And we know that. A couple words about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Word about Roman taxation. Rome didn't want to deal with taxation. Because why? People don't like paying their taxes. Anyone who taxed them would receive their anger. So they did the smart thing. They got the people's own people to be tax collectors. So Zacchaeus is a Jew. He's a Jew who's called to be a tax collector by Rome. And here's how tax collection works in this time. Let's say Roger owes Rome 10 coins and tells me, the tax collector, Roger owes 10 coins. Then I walk up to Roger. How you doing, Roger? I'm the tax collector. I'm here to get your taxes. I need 15 coins from you, Roger, by next Friday. Otherwise, the soldiers will be coming. So Roger, instead of paying the $10 of tax, would pay $10 or 10 coins of tax and then five coins to me as my income. And Rome didn't tell me how much to take. So next time, depending how Roger treated me, if Roger was really, really honorary or didn't give my daughter a good grade, then I would say, next time, it's 20 coins, Roger. And that could happen. And it did. Thus, tax collectors are spoken often in the text as people who were not well thought of in the community. And we can tell that Zacchaeus is not well thought of. Think about this. There's a parade in town. Jesus has come. He's walking through the street. Now, I don't know about you, but in a community like this, a community of the river, if we had a parade, if all of a sudden we said, hey, uh, Greg Wachinski, the Wachinskis were here today. The Wachinskis are back. We're going to have a parade. And we were to have a parade down the, down the parking lot. I would hope that those who were shorter, small children, some of our seniors, um, uh, different people in the church who are short. I don't want to insult you and get myself in trouble, so I'm not going to name any names. We would say, please, stand in front. Come. Here's a spot for you so you can see what's going on. We would do that, I would hope. Zacchaeus doesn't have that. 
In fact, it's almost as if they say, we're going to lock shoulders. Zacchaeus, tax collector, wants to see. Uh Uh-uh, not so much. Locking shoulders, not letting them through. You can imagine Zacchaeus going, hey guys, hey guys, I want to see, I want to see. And they won't let him in. So what does he do? He's got to find a way to go see Jesus. So he goes scurrying down the road. Can you imagine him in his robes? Booking, looking, where's Jesus, where's Jesus? I got to get ahead, got to get ahead. Gets to a tree. And he climbs the sycamore fig tree. Now we see this story and we think, oh, Zacchaeus, lonely Zacchaeus up in the tree. I don't think Zacchaeus was alone in the tree. Why? Because I know kids. Right? If there's a parade coming and there's a way to see better, who's going to find it first? I'm going to say 7 to 12-year-old boys. And if they, sisters, their sisters might be right there with them, the girls of the community. They're climbing up that tree with, to get a view of Jesus coming down. So you can imagine Zacchaeus is humiliated because they're locking arms and not letting him see. And then he gets up to the fig tree and he climbs up. And you can imagine, they're 12-year-old boys. What do 12-year-old boys do to short people? Make fun of them. So while he's up in the tree trying to see Jesus, he's getting made fun of by the little boys of the community. It's a double insult. Zacchaeus is not well liked. He's not included. He's not a part of the community. Now, we see this and we understand why. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's probably swindled some people. He's certainly taken too much in some people's minds from them. But, we can't throw it all at the feet of Zacchaeus. Why? What does Jesus say in verses 9 and 10? He says, he is a son of Abraham. Means he's a Jew, right? How are Jews in the law called to treat each other? Hospitality? Caring? Forgiveness? If someone cheats you, what do you do? Turn the other cheek, forgive them, all that stuff. Zacchaeus falls in the category of people that the Jewish community in the law is called to still treat with care and respect. And they've forgotten to do it. It's not just at the feet of Zacchaeus how he is treated, is at the feet of the community that has forgotten how to include even those that they don't like. They've forgotten to be God's chosen people. And so as a result, something is lost in the process. The community was weaker And it was not what God intended it to be. I'll tell you why in a moment. Without community, Jericho was less. Now, for us, obviously a very different situation than first century Jericho. We live in a completely different world. 
But we know, as we talked about earlier, the reality of isolation in our own lives. And for us to understand that there are two sides to isolation. There are those who are isolated. And people can be isolated for any number of reasons. They can be isolated because of their own behavior, their own challenges that they face. They can be isolated because maybe they are a part of a family or have some experience in their life that forces them to be isolated. I was talking to someone this morning who wanted to be more engaged in ministry, wanted to be more engaged with the part, with the, with the body of Christ here at the river, but was waiting for some surgery on his legs so that he would be able to walk more and do some of the things he's really looking forward someday soon to going down to Mexico with uh, hands of mercy to do be a part of a house building down there. But he can't until his, his uh, hip is fixed. There's limitations that people have. It can be social limitations. Maybe you're just not a very good people person. Maybe someone in your family is not a good people person and your family or your marriage or you as a couple pay for that. Maybe you just don't want people up in your business. And you don't want to share too much of your life with others because you've been hurt before and you just don't trust people. So there's the people who are isolated. But then there's the folks who may not feel isolated. These are folks who oftentimes have great communities around them, great friendship groups. Friday night or Saturday night is not hard for them. They know a list of 10, 12 different couples or people or, or places that they could go in order to be engaged in some level of friendship or relationship or community. They, they, they've known people for 10, 20 years. And a lot of the people around them are family. And that family, well, what do you do with family? You've got to be in community with them or at least try to figure that out. So there's a lot of natural community around them. And so they're saying, I don't feel isolated. I don't feel a, a problem here. I feel like I belong. But from the strength of that, they forget that there are other people who are looking over at them going, I would love to be a part of that. I would love to be in relationship with those, some of those people. But how hard is it to break in? There's nowhere to get in here. Everything, you got the same schedules that you do every year, the same activities, the same things that you do. You... I, there's no place for me. I, I'm different than you. You have kids at a certain age. You have people in your life at a certain place. I don't have those things. Where do I belong? So the isolation sort of gets perpetuated because there's no place for them. Isolation is a responsibility of the full community, not just those who are isolated, but for those who are not. And the danger for both of them is twofold. The one who is alone and isolated is more susceptible to pain, loneliness, and sin. When you are alone, pain hurts more. If someone comes alongside you and says, I am with you in your pain, your pain may not go away, but at least it can feel better. And not only that, but in isolation, with no accountability, with no one checking in, no one asking questions uh, in terms of your life and your relationship with Jesus and how you're seeing things and how you're thinking about your marriage or your parenting or your parents or whatever, you're much more susceptible to sin. 
you're much more susceptible to fall into addictions. People who are isolated are statistically much more prone to addictions, to depression, to a lot of different things that are all very, very painful. So there's one consequence. But the other consequence is this. For those who are not isolated, for those who feel like they have community around them, Imagine what they might be missing from people who are not a part of their community who can bring some of what God, what Jesus Christ has for them into their life. Think about this even in terms of how you understand your marriage. Now, some of you may look at your spouse and you look at them and you think to yourself, oh, I've always known I was going to marry them or just seems so easy and so automatic. What if God did not bring this strange, weird, and unique person into your life? And what if you were not willing to open up your life to this wacko, crazy person, Julie? What would have happened to you if you weren't willing to do that? God brings things into our lives when we are in appropriate places willing to open ourselves out of isolation into new relationship. And what are you and I missing? Because we think we've got enough. Remember we said that you can never have enough of what God wants to give to you. There's always more for him to give. But in this idea, it means we got to open up. And that's a difficult thing to do sometimes. It can be a difficult thing to do because it's uncomfortable. That person's not like me. They're a different culture, background. They're a different life experience. They're in a different place. How can they offer me something into my life? How, what do they have to give? Let me tell you, they do. I know that in my own life. I know that in my own experience. Some of us just have to learn to be willing to open up. And in this place of isolation, yes, it's hard. Yes, it's scary. Yes, it means taking a risk. But on the other side of that risk is some healing for pain. It is a place where God can meet you and pour his love through other people who want to speak his grace, his love, his hope into your life. Now understand me here. I am not talking about us being one big happy family. I'm not going to ask you to all stand up right now and let's give a big group hug. All right? I'm not going to do that. Because that's not the purpose. It's not how we think about this. We understand that there's going to be places where it's going to be easier than others. I'm not going to ask you to open up the microphones on Sunday morning and come pour out your junk before the community so that we can all show you love and show you grace, but that you can just share all the junk from your life. I'm not going to ask you to do that. And there's some of you would say, if that's the, if that's the prerequisite, I'm out of here now. I understand that. I'm not asking us to be that sort of community. But I am saying that there are places and spaces, appropriately so, where exactly that sort of work can happen. There are places where relationships, where God can give us accountability, encouragement, love, and grace. It's how Jesus works in us. What does John 1 say? God has come to be tabernacling, living, 
living with us in Jesus Christ. It's his longing for us to be in relationship with him and with the body of Christ. But that's hard. But that hard work is necessary in this community. I can tell you why. Because I sit in my office, Nick sits in his office, or we're out having lunch or meals with people or coffee or just finding somewhere, someplace when we're talking with people and we hear this phrase very often. I feel very alone. I feel like no one understands. I feel like no one else has my same experience. We hear those sorts of phrases, and those are all phrases of isolation all over the place. And those come from a place of pain and hurt. And there is a longing in the hearts of those people for that pain to end. We know that in this community, there are those who experience that sort of existence, that existence of isolation. But we know that God intends it differently. We know from the text of the story, this familiar story of Zacchaeus, that God wants his people to be different. Again, look back at the story and see how it works. So Zacchaeus is up in this tree with all the little boys who are making fun of him. And he's resentful because he's been blocked out of the parade and he's at the top of the tree with boys making fun of him. Jesus comes and says, Zacchaeus, come down. Your place, we're going to hang out today. Come on, let's go. So Zacchaeus comes down. Now we think that in this story, as we hear it, Zacchaeus gets down from the tree, and because of Jesus' words to him, immediately he says, of course, Jesus, not only that, I'll give half of what I have to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody, I'll give back everything that I cheated and more. We think that that's how it works. I don't think it does work that way. I think it's different. Here's what I think happens. I think Zacchaeus gets down from the tree and he's thinking to himself, oh man, I got the rabbi coming over to my house. What am I going to do? Okay, well, okay, Jesus, I live two blocks down, one to the right, big house on the left. And he goes booking back and he gets home and he blows open the front doors of his house and he sees servant one, two, and three. Says servant one, guess what? I need roast meat. Put the, go kill the fattened calf and get it roasting. He says to servant two, set up the dining room table. Let's get it going. It's going to be a lot of people here. Make sure it's a comfortable place. He says to servant three, go into the cellar, get all the best wine and the juice and everything that we got and pull it out. We're having a party. I wasn't planning on it, but let's go. And Jesus comes through the front door of his house. And he says, I thought you said the place on the right, but we said hello to her and then came across the street. So he gets across the street and he says to Zacchaeus, awesome, let's, let's, let's hang out, Zacchaeus. Let's sit at the table and I'm going to ask you about your life. And they're around the table because Jesus never goes anywhere alone at this time. So he's probably got 20 or 30 people at least who are coming into his house. And they're reclining at this table that has been set up. And they're eating the roasted meat and the other food that's been brought. And they're drinking the, the drink that has been brought. And they're asking Zacchaeus about how he's doing and about what's going on and about his life. 
And Jesus is seeing the relationship between Jesus and his followers. And he's seeing joy. And for the first time in years, Zacchaeus is feeling his house filled with life. And it finally gets to him, to a point that he stands up. What does it say? It says he stood up. How do you stand up in the tree unless you're like a monkey man, all right? He's down from the tree somewhere else. He's in his house, in his dining room, standing up and saying, look, Lord, I've seen all this. I've seen the relationship that you live in. I've seen the beauty of your community. And I want some of that. And I don't have a lot to give, but what I have I give. I got money, stacks of it, it's in the room over there, half of it, poor. Come get the, get the elders of the community, they can take it now. And if there is anyone that I've cheated, if there's anyone that I've taken advantage of, I don't want to do that anymore. And I want them to know the grace and the love of what it means to be included and not feel like you've been taken advantage of. So I'll give back all that money too. Zacchaeus is powerfully impacted by the community that comes to him. And it changes him enough that he gives back to it. Because Zacchaeus is part of the community, he benefits. Joy comes to his house. Salvation comes to his house in the words of Jesus. And then he gives back to it. Think about the local charitable organizations of Jericho after this day. All of a sudden they're like, wealthy individual just given half of everything he has. All right, new programs. What are we going to do? Going to get clean water. We're going to start a broom, broom selling thing. That sounds like a good idea. All of a sudden, the blessings come through the resources that only Zacchaeus the isolated, now in community, can bring. Jericho is more because Zacchaeus is part of the community. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says this. Today, Jesus speaking, has come, salvation has come to this house because this man too is now giving money to the poor. This man too is now feeling belong, like he belongs. Now he says, this man too is a son of Abraham. Why would he say that? Because he's reminding the people of Jericho, guess what? This has always, Zacchaeus has always been one of yours. You haven't treated him like it. But now, because he does feel a sense of belonging, because there is a place for him, salvation has come. Now you are living as a community like I designed for you to live. Until you live as that type of community, you are living less. Jesus is calling them to grow the kingdom by being him to one another. Him, Jesus, 
Him who looks at the lonely. Him who looks at the broken. Him who looks at the addict. Him who looks at the different one. The isolated one. The forgotten one. And says to them, you are one of my sheep. I've left the 99. Come and be with me. And brings them back to the 99 and says, here, look what I found. What are you going to do with it? And the challenge is, that when we see this new sheep, uh, there's no place. Where do you put this sheep? This sheep looks different. This sheep doesn't look like the rest of the ones. Sheep's got something going on that we don't recognize. I'm sorry, you're going to have to find a different pasture. No. 99 are called to open up, welcome the lost sheep into the fold and say, now you are one of us. Why? Because we have the same shepherd. The breakthrough for us is to ask God to show us how we contribute to isolation. Maybe that we're the one who doesn't want anyone else in our business, so we don't engage in relationship. If an invitation is offered, we won't come. We won't come to Legacy Nights. Why? Because, well, I just don't really want to do that. I don't really want to go there. And the problem is, is we sit there and we, we can say here, nobody cares for me. Nobody wants to be in relationship with me. And there are places where you can go, but you won't. You won't. Or, or you have a friend or you have a person who's asked you the question, how are you doing? And they really want to know the answer. And you gloss it over and you smooth it over. Because you really, eh, it's too much work to go there. And do they really care? I can tell you that there's a whole lot of people in this room who actually really care. And they want to bring care into that relationship. And then there's the folks who are over in this area. And how do we, how do people here contribute to isolation? Do you give, a good word is on-ramps. Do you give people on-ramps into the community through the way that you interact with them, the way that you welcome them. Let me give you a great example because it's going to happen in about 15 minutes, 25 if the preacher goes too long. You're going to walk out of this room and what are you going to do? If you're new here, you haven't figured things out. God bless you. I love you. You go wherever in the world you want to go. I'm going to suggest first going to the connection point right outside those doors. And then the fellowship hall right down there. Because there's some coffee and cookies and we would love to get to know you. But here's the problem. The problem is, is that for some of you, I could, with my eyes closed... Walk out of this room, down the hallway, into the fellowship hall, and I can, with my eyes closed, stand right beside your table and tell you who's at your table with you. Why? Because it's the same group of people every week, over and over, which isn't a bad thing. Hear me here. It's not a bad thing. Because I'm really glad that you have meaningful relationships with people that you can sit and spend time with over in the fellowship hall. That's wonderful. I love it. Except for one thing. 
I have had several people in the last couple months who have come to me and they have said, I have stood in that fellowship hall as a new person and looked around and people smile at me. They sometimes even shake my hand and ask me my name. But that's where it ends. They really don't want to make a place for me. There's no place for me at their table because it's already full. There's no place for me in the conversation because the shoulders are too locked together. There's no place for me in the relationship because, well, they're just too different and I can't. Come on. The body of Christ looks at the people that God has brought us, whoever that might be. Sometimes they look like me. Scary idea, scary thought, but they look like me. Sometimes they look radically different than me. They look radically different than you. And yet, they're the people who are part of God's family whom God has brought to us. How do we see that gift to this body? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14 talk about the body of Christ. How does the body care for the body? And folks who are walking in the door of this place become a part of the body of Christ. How do we see that? Are we withdrawn from others, fearful for them to be in our business? Are we frozen and familiar in comfortable social or family circles making it difficult? to be a part of community. When we think about the breakthrough here, the Spirit is the one who breaks through. When it calls us to step deeper into the body life, to care for one another as we rub shoulders, as we interact with different cells, parts of the body, as we engage. And that can mean just walking past in the hallway, it can mean yesterday hammering nails to get together down here, a build down at Hands of Mercy. It can mean a table, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday night at 5.30. Legacy nights where if nothing else, you just get to sit and talk and share life together. It can be in a myriad of ways for us to discover that and to dig deeper in being the body strengthens us and makes us more who God calls us to be. Unfortunately, I see the negative side of this. I saw the negative side of this this past week. I went into Calvin Seminary in 2007 with 42 students in my class. We were all in the same program, 42. While I was at seminary, um, it was tough. Toughest three years of my life, actually, for a lot of different reasons. A, we was in Michigan. That's one of the reasons why it was tough. It was in Michigan. It was snowy. It meant that we left a comfortable community. It meant that we left a lot of familiar in order to be in a new place, and that made it really hard. And while we were in this place, I was where with 42 people in my class in the same program, all becoming pastors, Lord willing, in the church. 
We would go into the um, student center at seminary, and this is why, this is when good things would happen. This is the beauty of seminary. Student center is a place with a lot of tables, open space, there's a kitchenette, you have lunch there often, you study there often. You would walk in there, you'd look around and see all these different tables with different people, different experiences, different ages, different genders, lots of things going on in different people's lives. And all you would do is just pull up a chair and sit at a table or sit near someone. And over time, you'd build relationships relationships with all these different people and you'd find out what's going on in their life. They would find out what's going on in your life and you would pray together and be encouragement to uh, each other and you would just walk through something that was very difficult together. But not everyone would engage in that. There were some people who just wanted to be on their own. There was one person in particular, there was two of us that had to sort of go chase him down. And we would see him sitting by himself, which he often was, and we would go and sit by him and we would talk with him. And we had a lot of great conversations. I consider him a friend. I've had him and his wife in my home. We've loved them. We've cared for them. We would have conversations that would be so powerful and meaningful. Sometimes we'd get so angry with each other. We would cry tears for each other. We would walk through just life together. And it was this intimate body work relationship thing. But it was hard because he didn't really want to engage in that naturally. This past week on Monday, Pastor Will came into my office and he said to me, Pastor Scott, I need to go to another classes for a classes meeting in two weeks. Because there's a pastor who's separating from his church because it hasn't gone well. It was this guy. This guy, which was now, I was in this intimate relationship with, it's now he's gone to a church and it hasn't worked. Hasn't worked at all. And then it got worse because he said to me, and his wife just asked him for a divorce. This is a guy who's in my home who I loved, was in community with, but it was hard, it was challenging, and he didn't really want to be in community. And I can tell you one of the reasons, one of them, there's plenty of reasons, I'm sure, but one of them is he is isolated. And now the mess gets worse. I went into seminary with 42. By the time I graduated, there were 37, including others who were isolated and weren't a part of things. Only 20 of it, 28 of us are left. And several of those people have been isolated and lonely in their ministry, and it's gone so difficult that they've separated from their churches. Now, there's lots of other contributing factors. I get it. But isolation is a big part of it. But here's the beautiful side. There was another guy that I went to seminary with who's now a pastor in Seattle. He's been a pastor there since graduation five years ago. And I only talk to him about once every six months or so. But when I talk to him in 30 seconds, it's like we never left relationship. You know those sorts of relationships? It was just like that. And every time we talk, he tells me of the blessing of being engaged, being engaged in community. He's got a community of friends around him in Seattle who love him, pray for him. He loves them, prays for them. They, as a couple, have other couples who pour into them, love them, support them, care for them. 
Their kid, their child, their daughter has people who love her, pour into her, support her. He has other pastors around him who build community around him. And I never, ever worry that this pastor is going to have that sort of failure in his life because he's got so much of the blessing of the body of Christ. When the blessing of the body of Christ supports us and encourages us and becomes that community, what Christ is to us, we are to each other. When that comes, the beauty is amazing and the kingdom grows. God does something in us when we are the body of Christ to each other. A couple challenges for you this week. First of all, memorize verses 9 and 10 of that passage from chapter 19. Talks about salvation coming to the house. And in there, Jesus says that he's a son of Abraham. You can put it here, instead of son of Abraham, you have my permission to change it to part of the body of Christ. And that will speak to your mind, speak to your, your situation a little bit more. So speaking into that, thinking about how am I including and fighting against isolation in my world. The second thing is discuss with a friend. How am I isolating myself from God's love? And how am I causing isolation in the lives of others? How am I welcoming? Am I open? Is there space in my life for anyone to come, for other people to come in who, who might fit and might, might challenge me, that God might lead into my life? And finally, think and pray about people who God might be leading into your world to blow it up a little bit in a beautiful way, to stretch you, challenge you, push you into a new place where God blesses you with what they bring and you bless them with what you bring into their life. And finally, the last thing is this. If you are experiencing that feeling of isolation, but the worst of it, the worst of it, isolation from God. If you do not know what it means to be in a relationship with a one who longs to be in relationship with you, or the one who, who, who died to be in relationship with you. If you don't know that life, if you don't know that hope, if you don't know that relationship, come. Come meet with me after the service. Let's talk about what it means to live outside of that worst kind of isolation and into a life within the body of Christ. Let's pray to that end. Lord God, move in us that we might be moved out of isolation. Out of isolation ourselves in how we do not have those relationships in our lives that encourage us or we are encouraging another, where we don't have people in our life who are supporting us, praying for us, and we don't have others to support and pray for. Father, move us into new places. Open up our eyes to see places where that might happen. And Father, also challenge us, those who have comfort, those who have wonderful community around them to think through where you are, asking them to give some space, where there are places, Lord, where others might come in, that we might pour love into them. We're in a position of strength, having all that community and relationship around us. Lord, may we speak that strength into the lives of others who need it so desperately. Father, may we truly be the body of Christ. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus.
Amen.